Today we're continuing our sermon series on the Unleashed Church. And if you watched last week, you probably remember that Steve Shipstead used the image of, you know, those outrigger canoes in Hawaii. If we get into the uh, way of rowing together, rowing together as a team, we can get this ship through some awfully turbulent times and turbulent seas and go in the same direction. And so to, to talk about this, he went back and looked at Paul's letter to the Ephesians, chapter 4, where we hear that a key goal of any church is to help individuals grow in faith and discover their unique gifts and passions for ministry, for living, for service. The ones that God has given to each and every one of us. When we do that, and then we combine our collective energy together in faith and in action, we can change the world. Paul says, we will no longer be babies in the faith. We won't be like ships tossed around by the waves. Instead, we will speak the truth in love. So, we will grow up in every way to become the body of Christ. Now, do we always succeed in that? Of course not. No church does, because, you know, as sacred as our calling might be as the body of Christ, we're still a complex collection of uh, fallible, even messy human beings. But the good news is that God is not done with us yet. So today I want to talk about how we can continue to grow and grow up together as a church. And I'm going to go back to the fourth chapter of the letter to the Ephesians from, from the fourth chapter, verses 22 through chapter 5, verse 2. So Ephesians 4, 22 through 5, 2. Listen now for God's word to you. You were taught to put away your former way of life, your old self, corrupt and deluded by its lusts, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to clothe yourselves with a new self, created according to the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. So then, putting away falsehood, let all of us speak the truth to our neighbors, for we are members of one another. Be angry, but do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger, and do not make room for the devil. Thieves must give up stealing. Rather, than, uh, rather let them labor and work honestly with their own hands, so as to have something to share with the needy. Let no evil talk come out of your mouths, but only what is useful for building up as there is need, so that your words may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with which you were marked with the seal for the day of redemption. Put away from you all bitterness and wrath and anger and wrangling and slander, together with all malice, and be kind to one another, tender-hearted forgiving one another as God in Christ has forgiven you. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and live in love as Christ loved us and gave himself, 
himself up for us a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Holy God, we pray that you will grant us the eyes to see and the ears to hear and the hearts and minds to understand as best we can your word and your world this day. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the title of the sermon I'm preaching today is You Are What You Practice Most. It comes from a book that I really liked when it came out back in the early 2000s. The book's called Don't Sweat the Small Stuff, and it's all small stuff. The author was Richard Carlson, and uh, this week I decided to look him up on Wikipedia. And to my total surprise, Richard Carlson grew up right here in Piedmont, California. And I got a chance to talk to a few of you this week about him, and you knew him, and one of you actually went to high school with him that I talked to, and I hear that he was a sweet, smart, giving, terrific guy. Now, the sad part of the story is that he died young at the age of 45, but his words remain. You are what you practice most. And, he says, if practice makes perfect, it makes sense to be careful what you practice. That's what Paul's saying in Ephesians today as well, and to you and me. He's pretty clear that the goal of every Christian, of every person, is to grow up in every way into the body of Christ, to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. We're to put away or move through or move beyond our old way of life. That is before you encounter Jesus in some way. And to be transformed or clothed with a new self. He tells us to become imitators of God or of the divine that we see in Christ. Now, you know, that sounds like a pretty tall order if you ask me. And obviously, we fail to hit the mark all the time in that pursuit of that goal, which failure to hit the mark, as you may remember, is the literal Greek translation of the word that we have in English, sin. We speak falsely, spitefully to one another, not all the time, but often enough. We steal from one another, by which Paul means we don't share the fruits of our labor with those who are in need. We let anger simmer and sometimes bubble over. We cause all sorts of harm to our relationships and to ourselves. In fact, it's interesting that Paul uses three different Greek words for the one word we have in English, anger, in this passage alone. Two of those words describe anger as a feeling. Like when he says, be angry, but do not sin. He's not saying that anger is itself a sin. It's just a feeling. And sometimes it's maybe justifiable. The question is, what do you do with it? And what does it do to you? But when he says, do not let the sun go down on your anger, the Greek word parogismos doesn't describe a feeling. 
It's a persistent state of mind. It's a festering resentment that actually seeks to provoke anger in other people. And I got to say that right now in our society, we are facing an epidemic of that. You know, I learned a new word the other day from my daughter, Maddie, who's a college student. Syndemic. It's going through more than one epidemic at the same time with each disease making the other worse. And that's what we're facing right now. A syndemic of COVID and constant incendiary anger, both of them fueling each other. And that syndemic can be deadly. But that's a topic for another sermon. For now, I want you to know that even in times like these, hard as they are, there's hope. It's possible, Paul says, to grow up in faith. It's possible, it's even essential, he says, to put away bitterness and selfishness and scorn and to be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as Christ forgives you. It's not easy. No quick fix. You can't do it alone or by your own willpower either. By your effort. No. But God is always present and always active, shaping our souls, shaping our hearts, even shaping our willpower itself to reflect the divine image we each carry in our being. In fact, that divine image is what makes us human. Our job is to cooperate. Or as Steve said in his pastoral prayer today, our job is to open our sails and to unfurl them and to to be caught up or let them be caught up by the fresh breeze of the Holy Spirit. So there's both a passive and an active aspect of our spiritual growth or formation. Jesus says, without me, you can do nothing. But it's also true that if you do nothing, or very little, to express your faith and love, then chances are you're going to have a really hard time experiencing God, too. You know, having spent half my life in Northern California... And my whole career here as a minister, I know lots of people who are attracted to or, you know, have tried out various what you might call Eastern spiritual practices. And sometimes they tell me what draws them to something like Buddhism or at least the the kind that's popular here in North America, Northern California. What attracts them is that it presents itself as a way of life rather than as a system of beliefs. It's not to say beliefs aren't important. They are. We hold beliefs about all sorts of things. As Christians, we believe that God loves each and every one of us and the whole of creation so much that God will do anything to set us free and to hold us close and to guide us forward in faith. That's something we believe. So the issue isn't either or when it comes to belief and practice. It's both and. In that sense, 
it can be helpful to distinguish between two words that we often use interchangeably. Faith and belief. Beliefs are ideas in your head. They can be right or wrong, useful or not. They can change over time, even as they continue to, to serve as a guide to your actions. But faith is an enduring relationship of trust. It's the assurance of things hoped for, the confidence even in times of doubt or trouble that God is with you in Christ. But it's also a movement, a verb more than a noun, it comes alive in action. In other words, faith itself is a practice. And one of the problems we face today in the church, it seems to me, not just the church here in Piedmont, but all over this country, maybe all over this world, is that a whole lot of us seem to have lost the way of our faith or the practice of our faith. We may have right or acceptable ideas in our heads, but we don't have a coherence and compelling way of life, a practice formed in community and lived out, expressed in acts of love. And the truth is, people notice. Diana Butler Bass puts it like this. Imagine joining a knitting group, a knitting group, maybe like, you know, the group we have in our own church called Needles and Hooks. Does anyone go to such a group and ask if the knitters believe in knitting or what they hold to be true about knitting? Do people ask for a knitting doctrinal statement? Indeed, if you start knitting by reading a book about knitting or a history of knitting or a theory of knitting, you will very, very likely never knit. Same way with faith. So here's a question I want you to think about today and in, in the days ahead. How do you practice your faith? Maybe you're feeling stuck right now. Maybe you had a practice or you were aware of a of a way that you used to express your faith, but it no longer seems to work. Maybe you're tired, you're worn down, you're distracted by all the demands you face in life. Or maybe you do have a sense of practice, but it doesn't seem to be getting you anywhere with God or in your own soul. Somebody reminded me this past week that, you know, we can practice as much as we want, but if we do it in the wrong way, we need some correction like a golfer who's always over at the driving range, but keeps on practicing his or her drive and keeps on slicing. Maybe your practice could be okay, relatively okay right now, though it could be better. Or maybe, just maybe, you're one of those blessed folks who already practices their faith perfectly. And if you're one of those people, I cannot wait to meet you because I've always wanted to see a halo around somebody's head. But seriously, the truth is that whether you're conscious of it or comfortable with it or not, we are all practicing all the time. And we're becoming what we practice most. What you do, 
what you think, who you follow, who you tend to hang out with, how you see, how you treat yourself and others on a regular basis. The question is, how are you practicing to become the person that God made you to be? You might have read a book that came out a couple years ago called Outliers by Malcolm Gladwell. And in that book, he tries to discover the, the keys to success in any realm of human endeavor. And he wants to know, is it innate talent or having a good upbringing or background or something like that? Is it nature or nurture? He goes into all sorts of things. And as it turns out, nature and nurture, having a good upbringing and having talent, they matter. They matter. But it, what it really takes to be a success is practice. Lots and lots of practice. How much? Well, maybe you remember. He points to what he calls the 10,000-hour rule. So, for example, the Beatles, when they just started out as teenagers, they struggled busked around Liverpool for three years, they might have a couple of gigs per month, but then at some point they were invited to come and perform on a regular basis in the seedy clubs in uh, the Reeperbahn of Hamburg, Germany. And John Lennon described the difference that Hamburg made for the band. He said, I'm so tempted to speak in a Liverpool accent now, but I won't do it. In Liverpool, we'd only done one-hour sessions, and we'd just do our best numbers, the same ones at every one. In Hamburg, we had to play for eight hours straight, so we really had to find a new way of playing. So by the time the Beatles had their first hit in 1964, they had performed together live about 1,200 times, or approximately 10,000 hours. It even took a musical genius like Wolfgang Mozart 20 years of composing before he produced his greatest work. And over and over and over again, that number, 10,000 hours, keeps turning up in stories of success, according to Gladwell. And you know, when you think of it, you think about how the first disciples followed Jesus around for three solid years, and you do the math, it comes out to more than 10,000 hours of practice being disciples of Jesus Christ. Now, don't get worried, don't worry. I'm not saying there's some magic formula or that it takes you 10,000 hours of practice to become a real or a successful Christian. No, I'm not saying that at all. Just use whatever time you have. The point is to do the work. To practice expressing your faith in love over and over. To grow in your capacity to imitate God in Jesus. For as Brian McLaren reminds us, I really love this quote, you are not finished yet. You are in the making. You have the capacity to learn, mature, think, change, and grow. You also have the freedom to stagnate, regress, constrict, and lose your way. 
What we all want is pretty simple, really, he says. We all want to be alive, to feel alive. Not just to exist, but to thrive, to live out loud, to walk tall, breathe free. That's the destination we're all after. The question is, which road will you take? You know, as uh, Steve Shipstead and I have talked to each other, and uh, a lot of you this past year, as we are going through this time of transition and change and transformation at Piedmont Church, we've come to realize that one of the most important things we can do together as a church is to encourage and to facilitate spiritual growth, formation. Not that there's some prescription we have for how it's supposed to go for each and every individual. We don't have a handy-dandy 10,000-hour rule. I I mean, while we may share a common path as a community of faith, each one of us really does have our own road to walk with God. So what can we do to help each other along the way? Well, lots of things. First, we can remember, and we need to remember, that God is at the core of any process of growth. So we need to pay attention. The word that's often used is discern. But whatever word you use, we need to take account, pay attention of where the Spirit is already active in our lives as individuals and as a community, and to be open to the possibility and even the necessity of transformation. Then we can look at some of the habits or behaviors or thinking that gets in the way of our spiritual formation, especially as individuals. And, you know, sometimes it can be helpful to seek counseling from a pastor or someone else who has some experience dealing with some of these issues. And, you know, Steve and Scott and I are open ourselves to help you out or help you find somebody who can help you. We can also meet in groups to learn and grow together in relationship. We already have a whole lot of them. Men's Bible study, women's Bible study, living room conversations, and all sorts of small groups. And we're going to have more of them too, like the life groups that we started up last fall, and we're going to get going real soon again. We can have classes and retreats and bring in guest speakers and guides to help us learn some new ways to practice our faith, or we can rekindle some of the traditions that have been used by Christians for centuries, like prayer, meditation, study, solitude, simplicity, confession, service, and worship. There are so many practices we can take on, we can try, and so many paths we can take to express our faith in love. The important thing is to get out there and walk. I'll close with one of my favorite poems, and it speaks to this call this urge we have to move together with the Spirit of the living God blowing our sails and moving our ship forward. It's by Rainer Maria Rilke, and it's called Go to the Limits of Your Longing. It goes like this. God speaks to each of us as God makes us and then walks with us 
silently out of the night. There are the words we dimly hear you sent out beyond your recall. Go to the limits of your longing. Embody me, flare up like a flame, and make big shadows I can move in. Let everything happen to you, beauty and terror. Just keep going. No feeling is final. Don't let yourself lose me. Nearby is the country they call life. You will know it by its seriousness. Give me your hand. Brothers and sisters, I invite you to give your hand right now to the Spirit of the living God. And let's walk forward together in faith. In Jesus' name. Amen.